Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Thanks be to God. Um, well, good morning, everybody. It's really nice to see you. Um, as Libby said, I've just gone back to university, and it, when you mentioned that, it made me laugh. And I realised probably two weeks into the term that I'm something of an elderly fresher. I had um, been sitting next to all these 18-year-olds thinking in my head that we're exactly the same. <laughs> and it was when one of the young uh, guys said to me one day, obviously, as a mature student, you must think, blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking, like, under my mask, thinking, how does he know? How does he? Why does he think I'm a mature student? So um, an elderly fresher is um, what I am. So it's really nice to be here um, and to see you this morning. So we're in Colossians uh, 3, which has just been read to us, and I think you'll agree it's a brilliant um, passage. And I want to start by asking um, this morning, maybe you've seen um, this slogan, which is going to come up behind me. Slogan, is it a slogan? Eat, sleep, work, repeat. Maybe you've seen that plastered on posters and t-shirts, mugs, that type of thing. And I just wonder what our third item on that list would be, because the point of this is that that third item really says a lot about us and about who we are. So it might be eat, sleep, work, repeat. It might be eat, sleep, run, repeat. Eat, sleep, read, repeat. Whatever it is that you are known for. And I wonder what, what would fill that third item for you. What is your life? What do people associate with you? And this passage this morning is encouraging us and encouraging the church in Colossian that uh, their life is in Christ. And just as a bookworm is known by their bookish habits, um, a cyclist might be known by their lycra habits, so too Christians should be known by their habits. And Paul was writing this letter to the church in Colossae to encourage these Christians that some of the new teaching that they were hearing just, just wasn't necessary, that it was just Christ. 
It was Christ that they needed. To walk in this Christian life, they didn't need any fancy gear or any special knowledge. They just needed Jesus. So to place this passage in its context, in the first couple of chapters of Colossians, Paul has been really talking us through the theology, explaining that we have been joined with Christ in his death and resurrection. And now as we move on, he's explaining what it means for our lives, how that lives out now, how it will look in our daily lives. So things like how we spend our time might change, our habits might change, and it's habits in particular that Paul is focusing on here. Eat, sleep, whatever, repeat. I recently read um, this bestseller. Maybe some of you have read it as well. It's a book um, by the author James Clear called Atomic Habits. So this guy, uh, James Clear, is evangelical about habits because he thinks they can make us or break us, and he's all about systems. So for example, if we want to pick up some good habits, then we need to build systems around that to make it really easy for us to minimize the number of decisions that we're taking. So I might want to um, eat healthily, for example. So to do that, he would say, you should order an online shop so that your fridge is filled with healthy foods, so it's really effortful for you then to go out and buy some junk food. I don't know if he's ever heard of Deliveroo, but that's what he would say to pick up a good habit, make it really, really easy. Um, If you want to drop bad habits, then make the bad habit really awkward to keep doing. So an example might be if you want to stop watching as much television, you know, mindlessly just putting the television on. James Clear would say, at night before you go to bed, pull the plugs out of the television from the wall. And then in the morning, you can't just go click, watch the television. It's a bit more effortful for you to put the plugs back in. So those are the kinds of things he talks about in this book. And he says this, Every action you take is a vote for the person you wish to become. It's a very disciplined life that he speaks about. Um, And reading it made me feel a bit tired and quite inadequate, actually. But it's an interesting um, thesis that he's putting forward. So habits, they're hard to change. And most of us will know that from experience, if you've ever tried to change a habit. And if the Christian life was all about us picking up new habits or dropping old ones, well, it would be a very difficult life, and it would be not very appealing to many of us at all. So today we're going to look at habits Paul is warning us about. Um, There are two lists of them we'll look at before we move on to look at what the alternative might be. So I think the first question to ask is, why habits? Why is Paul uh, so emphatic about habits? He really cares. And if we look at the verses uh, 5 and 8, we can see the language he uses. He's talking us, he says to us, put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature in verse 5. Put to death, strong language. And then in verse 8, you must rid yourself. Again, a really emphatic plea to us. And it made me think, well, why does Paul care so much about habits. And I think Paul, like that author, James Clear, knows, he knows that habits form us. You see, habits, they work two ways. So first of all, people will know um, something about us. They'll know what we love, what we enjoy, what we value by the habits that we participate in, by the things that we do. You can tell a lot about us. 
But equally, habits are not just something that we do. Habits do something to us. They form us. So, for example, we exercise and our body is strengthened. We read and our mind is widened. We might play our scales and our piano playing improves. Our habits shape and form us. The stuff we watch, what we listen to, who we spend our time with, all of these things will shape and form us. So maybe if I were so concerned about screen time for children, what are they consuming? How are they being formed? So it's a two-way process. So let's look at the first um, list of habits that Paul talks about. And really, um, these are all about focusing on us. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And at first, this list, it looks like it's just all about sex. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. But then can we look at the last one? Greed. Because greed seeps into every area of our lives. We're never satisfied. We're always wanting more. And I wonder why that is. Well, Paul says, greed, look at that last bit there, which is idolatry. Who are our idols? I wonder, what do we adore? We might not think of ourselves as having idols anymore. But what is the number one priority in our life? So often it's me and my agenda and me wanting more. I can be the last thing I think about at night and the first thing I think about in the morning. But you see, life with Jesus when we're living life with Jesus, he calls us to quite a radical shift of the center of our lives. It's no longer just about me. The world does not revolve around me. Verse 6 also mentions the wrath of God, which as much as we don't have time to delve into that this morning, I think it's really important uh, to address it and mention it because it can be really uncomfortable. We don't like that word wrath. We don't like thinking of God um, as having wrath, maybe, or being angry with us. But it was helpful for me to look at the Greek root of this word, and it describes not a sudden outburst or flying off the handle, but instead a teeming or swelling. One commentator described it as a fixed, controlled, passionate feeling against sin. Which I thought was really helpful. That's how God feels about sin in these lists that he's giving us. He wants us to be moving in a different direction, away from it, turning away from the old stuff. So let me take, take you back to verse 4 again. Christ, who is your life. I am no longer at the center, and that changes everything. So yes, Sure, Paul is talking about sexual ethics here, but it's much wider than that. It's not just what we do. It's not just our actions. It's our heart. It's putting me and my wants at the center of everything to the detriment of everyone and everything else. So this list shows how we can hurt ourselves and others by putting ourselves at the center and our desires first and always. 
And the next list um, that Paul gives us is how we can hurt by putting the focus on others. And in short, it's our mouths. It's speaking badly about or speaking badly towards other people. Let's just look at verse 8 and 9. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. So I wonder, what, what angers us? What causes us to rage or feel malice? Maybe it's other drivers. Maybe it's queue jumpers. Maybe it's bad service, a pedant boss or a lazy colleague. It might be children that won't brush their teeth. Maybe it's poverty, injustice, war. The things that trigger our anger, they say a lot about us. But how do we channel that? And we often use our mouths, don't we? There's a very famous verse in Proverbs. It's from chapter 12. And it says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We have the power to pierce like a sword, but we also have the power to heal. And what about those other things, the malice, slander, filthy language? Well, they seem to be ingrained in our society, don't they? The headlines are full of malice. Our politicians so often seem to thrive on bad-mouthing one another, and the Christian sphere can be no better. We know that our words do so much damage. Perhaps some of us remember things a teacher said about us when we were young, and those words have stayed with us, and they hurt then and they still hurt now. Maybe we've seen a text message that was about us, but it wasn't for us, and that was painful too. Or perhaps a loved one has taken you aside to tell you some truths, and that's been painful. Words have power. And while I do not usually take my life advice from fictitious wizards, I do have an exception for Dumbledore and Harry Potter, maybe. He says these words. Words are, in my not-so-humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic, capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. So our words can be significant. They should be used wisely. And what about lying? He mentions lying. And again, if any of you have ever lied, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but we know that that never leads us to a good place. In John chapter 8, Jesus actually says that the truth will set us free. And if you've lied, you know you've got to tell another lie and another and another. And we end up being very not free. We end up trapped by the lies we've been telling. And Paul's saying, just don't. As Christians, we should be known as being truth tellers. So just don't tell lies. So those are the bad habits then that Paul has uh, been drawing our attention to. Those that focus on us and the others that focus on other people. So I wonder now, should I attempt some kind of TED talk on how we can all change our habits and pick up better habits? And of course, I'm not going to do that because I can do all the things and I can build all the systems and I can go through all the motions and still my heart remains unchanged. But in this chapter, Paul is saying, we are brand new people. 
in verses 9 and 10. He's saying it's not a superficial change. You can see there in verse 9, we're not just putting off old clothes, we're putting off old selves. There's been a fundamental change in our being. We've put on a new self, and as such, we live differently. So I could strive all my days to keep the rules that I think the Bible is presenting. I could try and drop the old habits and really try to live a great Christian life, and I've missed the point entirely. Verse 4 again, when Christ, who is your life, in the same way that we could buy a gym membership and never go to the gym, I can buy all the books about Jesus, I can attend church, I could even call myself a Christian and still not let Jesus shape my life, not let him into my life to shape it. So how do we do that? Well, let me take you back to the very first word that was read to us this morning, and it's the word since. This um, chapter starts with the word since. What has gone before? Therefore, And it's because of what Paul has been explaining in these previous two chapters that um, tell us what Jesus has done. We've been raised with him. And verse 3 tells us that our lives are now hidden with Christ in God. We're not working alone. Paul, he quite often tells us to do hard things, to live a holier life. But any time he does that, he always roots these commands in what Christ has made us. We're not alone. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and in verse 10 it says, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. That's an amazing thought, the life of Jesus revealed in our bodies. So Christ, he's not just living beside us. Christ has not just gone ahead of us. He's not following up behind us. He is in us. He is us. So I'm going to come back to that question of how we spend our days. The Christian life, it's a daily walk. And all that's asked of us is to keep company with Jesus. That daily habit of turning our eyes towards Jesus and walking in a Godward direction. It puts us in a place where he can shape us and form us. And maybe that won't feel radically different at first. It might feel like very slow progress. But then verse 10 says, our new self is being renewed in knowledge in the image of our creator. We're being renewed daily in the image of our Creator. It's not overnight. It's not going to happen all at once. The more we know our Creator, the more like Him we will be. So are we spending time with Jesus? Are we reading our Bible? Are we praying, encouraging one another, meeting together? How are we nurturing our relationship with Jesus. Maybe we can end uh, this morning where we began. Eat, sleep, whatever, repeat. And I wonder in there if we can ask ourselves if we have space 
and time left for Jesus. Shall we pray? Father, we want to um, come to you this morning and bring our lives to you. We want to bring our daily routine, our daily habits, and ask that you would help us examine them. Lord, where have we invited you to come with us? Where have we left you? Where have we left you sitting at home while we go about our daily business? Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us this morning where you want us to invite you. We bring you our habits. We bring you our routines. And we ask you to come into them. Lord, would you go with us into the rest of our days and into the week ahead, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.